You're listening to Tatiana Is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And if you are new to the show, this is the place where we discuss the characters and storylines and all that stuff regarding Orphan Black. And this is not a spoiler-free podcast. We are discussing the series in its entirety, which as of this recording is the first season. So if you have not seen the first season, beware, there are spoilers ahead. For this episode, we're going to be talking about Helena. Crazy, crazy, wonderful Helena. And I have to apologize or something immediately to say that it's likely that I will accidentally slip and call her Helena at some point. I know her name is pronounced Helena, but I, I visualize it in my head and it makes me want to say Helena. So if I slip and I call her Helena, please do not think me an idiot. I, I do know how her name is pronounced. <laughs> and I do correct you all the time and then you get really kind of annoyed with me. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so yes, Helena... <laughs> Dear sweet, psychotic Helena, the introduction for Helena is, you know, that's quite the entrance. And of course, technically she was there before, but we didn't see her. But she comes out of nowhere and attacks Sarah. And uh, there's the big reveal where, oh, wait, it's another clone, a crazy blonde clone. (laughs) And I actually was not all that surprised by the reveal because they were taking too much care to not show the person's face. I was like, oh, it's going to be a clone. And it was. (laughs) So that the fact that it was a clone didn't surprise me. But how just sort of over the top, you know, crazy she is that that was a bit of a surprise. Like I, I, I knew it would be a clone, but her characterization was still kind of a surprise for me. Right. I think that is sort of the the thing is because you do get to that point, you know, clearly they're not showing her, but she's about the same size as Sarah. And you're like, oh, it's going to be another clone. But somehow it's still shocking, still surprising that that reveal, which, you know, good job show, right? Anyway, so in, you know, we're introduced to her in episode three, or or we first see her. And she has that standoff with Sarah that ends with rebar, which, again, shocking. Uh, but then we get to episode four. And uh, I kind of want to talk about the police profile of Helena, because we don't really know anything about Helena at this point, aside from, you know, that she's another clone and has tried to kill our lead character. and That's no good. But yes, the profile as spelled out by Janice Beckwith is Female killers tend to suffer from chronic detachment. Isolation breeds sociopaths. This psalm, fearfully and wonderfully made, she's a religious fanatic. And then Angela DeAngelis points out that stick figures, doll heads, and the fortune teller indicate early childhood development issues and that it could be extreme abuse. And what's so interesting to me about all of this is that, as we find out through the first season, that's pretty much spot on. Indeed. So I feel like that's a very detached, obviously very one-sided view of of Helena. I, of course, all of these things come to be true, but I think her, you know, the police obviously don't really understand her primary motivations. And I find it interesting when Tatiana Maslany talks about Helena, she really focuses on more of her inner motivations rather than these external factors that made Helena the way that she is. Um, and I believe she, she talks about Helena really wanting to be loved and wanting 
to have love, but just not having the social skills to achieve those types of relationships in a healthy way. Right. I think she was talking about how, you know, Helena's main main motive or, or main driving factor is love. She's acting out of love, but is going about it in completely the wrong way. Just, you know, doesn't know how to go about things, essentially. Which actually, again, you know, goes back to the profile that they laid out, because basically sort of a stunted, stunted development, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So the police profile, it talks about Helena's possibly, you know, being a religious fanatic, being abused as a child. What we see of Helena in regards to significant relationships really seems to be Tomas, and who who is, you know, part of this Prolethean group who are really against cloning and believe it's against God and all this and that. And we clearly see in the later part of the season that he is very abusive towards her, locking her in a cage. But I guess I'm kind of curious how Helena came to be incorporated into the Prolethean group. Because Amelia, when we meet her later on in the season, says that she gave one of the twins to the state, which was Sarah, and then one of the twins to the church, which was Helena. And so it's very unlikely, I think, that when Amelia dropped Helena off at the church, she put this baby into the arms of somebody who knew about the clone experiment, which obviously the Prolethians do. So I'm curious when in Helena's life she became sort of adopted by that group. You know, was she adopted by an, a family first and that's where she was abused? Was she abused in an orphanage? You know, it, it's it's quite likely that she suffered some childhood abuse, but but at whose hands I'm still not quite clear about. I actually have lots and lots of questions about the Amelia situation in general, because they, the indications to me with Dr. Leakey were that they knew that there was a baby missing, but they baby didn't know that there were two. And I don't know if that's just me interpreting things wrong or, or right. I mean, I don't know. So I think we've mentioned previously that you feel like Dr. Leakey didn't know who Sarah was, but he he explicitly tells Sarah that he's been aware of Helena as she's, she's his white whale, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So my impression is that Leaky knew about Helena because of the Prolethians, because he seems to be aware of the Prolethean group. So that's my impression as to why he knew about Helena, though not necessarily Sarah, because he seems to have had contact with this group and, and perhaps they have, basically told him that they have Helena or or some some communication with this group has led him to the fact that they they have Helena. Well, and I mean they've been monitoring the clones, so theoretically mm -hmm. he knew that somebody was picking off the clones and probably could have gathered that it was Helena or one of the other clones just from existing DNA evidence because of course Helena's not very tidy about leaving her own blood on the crime scene and stuff. But she did wear gloves and did not leave fingerprints. I suppose that's true, but but there was blood everywhere. <laughs> it's yes, but but he also seems to know Helena's personality, you know, because he tells Paul that Helena. There's no way Helena could have fooled him for months, live, trying to pretend to be Beth because she's feral, essentially. So, true. I, so I do think that that's probably how he knows about Helena is through contact with the Prolethians. Okay, where where I was going with this originally <laughs> was that. 
If Leaky knew about Helena, it's possible that the Prolethians were also keeping tabs on Amelia or something. I mean, and we knew that they had at least one Prolethean in the dyad institution or or Neolution or whatever they were calling themselves at the time. Uh, but Ma- Maggie Chen was part of part of their group they've established. So, and we don't know when, as far as I know. So, my point being that it's entirely possible that they were also keeping tabs on Helena as a baby. I don't know. I'm just saying, <laughs> as I do. <laughs> Clearly, they're a religious group. Um, uh, Helena was given to the church. I do think that probably. Somebody working for the Perlethians, whether it be Maggie Chen or somebody else who had been part of the clone experiment and then kind of defected to the Perlethians. I think definitely that's how Helena got drawn into the group. But again, I'm just sort of curious as to when that happened. Was she maybe, was she a baby? Was she a teenager? Was she, you know, a young adult? She seems to have an established relationship with Tomas, but you know, the, the clones are almost 30. So it could be that she's been with Tomas for only 10 years rather than most of her life. Well, and again, just that they've established that there were, or or suggested that there were childhood development issues and extreme abuse and stuff. It, it Based on the way we saw t- uh, Tomas treat her, it seems like she's been in his care for some time. To me, that's, that's the impression I got. Which is fair, which is fair. But I, I, I guess I would also say that Children are, are who are abused often tend to grow up into adults who are abused by other people. So it's it's not impossible that she perhaps suffered abuse at the hands of more than one person, sadly enough. True. Again, I guess I'm just thinking that the way the show has been set up, to me, the suggestion is that she's been in the care of the Prolethians for an extended period of time. Just sort of to contrast with Rachel Duncan, who was raised by the Neolutionists, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Just me speculating. Though I think this might be a, a place to to talk about your dad's theory about Helena. Yeah, it turns out my family always has crazy theories about things. Well, I don't know how crazy this theory is. It could have some merit, but... It go- could, but let me rephrase. My family comes up with theories that are not necessarily based in what we see. <laughs> Or not specifically. There's no, to me, there's no strong indication that this is the case. There's sort of a lot of extrapolation. And I should probably tell you what this is, because you don't know, and I'm just rattling on and on about something you have no context for. Okay, so we're watching the series, and I don't remember which episode this was. I want to say, there's the scene where, where Helena's sort of, you know, angsting about the letters that she found to... Sarah. So I think this must be episode eight, because she finds those letters in episode episode seven, because they're in Sarah's Mm -hmm. coat. So she's sort of repeating to herself stuff that was in the the letter, the, you know, I miss you, mommy, or whatever it was. And, and, you know, they've got the crazy camera stuff, and, you know, the, the scary disjointed music and the scary disjointed visuals. And so my dad starts talking about Helena being a junkie. Or something. He starts talking about how she's like, oh, that that Tomas has got her. Except he probably didn't call him Tomas because Dad never remembers anybody's name. Um, <laughs> uh, starts talking about how oh, he's got her hooked on drugs and stuff. And and I, I 
had to ask him what he was talking about. Because, <laughs> like, there's no, again, no direct indication of that. There's perhaps a suggestion that something deeper is wrong with Helena. I can buy that. But yeah, my dad just pulled drug addict out of nowhere. So, but but then I mentioned it to you, and you thought it was very interesting. And well, you left out an on. important part. Did you I left out an important part? Yes, because in that scene where she's where she's reading the letters and she's distraught, she's eating stuff out of these little packets. That is true. And that and and when you told me about it, you said your dad thought that those little packets were having well, to I, do with drugs I in some he, way. I, I wondered if that's what he thought. I don't think he ever said that. Oh, okay. Because like I asked him why, and he either could not or would not give me an answer <laughs> as as happens sometimes so he might have thought that's what it was that was me speculating that that's maybe what he was thinking because she is eating i assumed it was some form of like pixie sticks or something cuz yeah either either just straight packets of sugar or some sort of in the US at least we have little flavored sugared um candy called pixie sticks where it's just basically this sugary flavored dust that you eat so either it was just straight sugar or something like that some sort of really sugary candy but and and i apologize i misrepresented i thought your dad had specifically mentioned the packets however i I don't think he did okay well however we do see in both sort of that scene as well as where (laughs) helena and sarah have lunch uh, where <laughs> Helena is eating the jello and then she puts like sugar on top of her jello or something like that. She her does face seem- after she does that is yeah, priceless. Pretty priceless. But she does seem to have a real sweet tooth. She does real se- really seem to have a, a sugar need. And that is not uncommon for people who used to be addicted to heroin and, and other sorts of opiates. It, um, I don't really know the fancy reason, but I've I've read that it, that's sort of the closest you can get to kind of reproducing the chemical reaction that heroin and opiates make in the brain. It's obviously different; it's not on the same level. But there are, you know, if if uh, heroin addicts, former heroin addicts, are sort of having difficulties, they will drink like a really sugary drink, like orange juice, or they will have some sugar candy and stuff like that. So while your dad might have invented that out of nowhere. It's perhaps not a totally absurd theory. I don't think it's completely absurd. I just couldn't figure out where it was coming from. And and it's one of those things I didn't know about the uh, heroin addict thing until you told me that when I oh, mentioned okay. this to you before. And uh, see, because I'm always thinking in terms of, again, what they tell us in the show. And they've established that she's very childlike. So, of mm-hmm. course, I'm just thinking childlike Helena likes a lot of sugar. <laughs> That's true, too. So it could also be a childlike thing. But, you know, she is very pale. She doesn't seem to be the most healthy, which we I I was actually sort of like, oh, that's why she's so pale when we see that she and Tomas seem to live on a ship. So that that could explain why she's why she's so pale looking. Uh, but she doesn't seem to be the most healthy of people. I would buy that she perhaps was a an addict at some point due to her physical presence that Tatiana Maslany gives her. I mean, granted, she did pull out a freaking rebar out of her liver and patch herself up, which is pretty hardcore. But That is pretty badass, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, but if they decided to go that that place with Helena, I would buy that she used to be a former addict, which the reason I brought this up now is if, like, the Prolethians did sort of find her later in life, maybe that's partially how they 
got her so indebted to them was that maybe she was an addict of some kind and they helped rehabilitate her in some way. I don't know. Pure speculation. <laughs> that is what we do here, yes. Yes. But I, I don't know. I, I kind of – I would be interested if if your dad's drug addict theory has any sort of merit to it. <laughs> I don't know if it was a theory so much as weird extrapolation of <laughs> – I don't know. I never know with that guy who may or may not be listening right now. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously with Helena, we can say that she's – the mo of the the main clones that we've met, she is the the most overtly different one of the group, and I kind of wonder if that might not be on purpose. One would assume it would be, not on the writer's part, but on her own part. Her own, you mean her who? Helena. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, are we talking about Tatiana? Are we talking about no? Okay, no, we're talking about Helena because. You know, she's obviously been indoctrinated by the Prolethians to believe that there's there are women out there who look exactly like her, and she's the original. And to hate these, like, copies that she thinks are of herself, at least in the beginning. And so I wonder if, like, the blonde hair and, and all of that might not be an effort to physically differentiate herself from all of these women who look like her. I, I do wonder about the blonde hair a lot. Like, I probably thought about it more than... I should. Because I start wondering, and again, this is me drawing stuff out of really nowhere, but I start wondering if maybe the Prolethians have dyed her hair blonde in some sort of weird effort to like convince her of of her originalness or something. Originality would be like an actual word. But yeah, I, I don't know. The and in the wings that she has carved into her own back and we, we see this sort of motif of, you know, Helena as an angel. So you know, and there's that image of uh when Sarah goes to find her at Maggie Chen's apartment and Helena's sort of got her hands outstretched to the the light, the the room the main uh ceiling light in the apartment and Sort of well, probably it's toward heaven. No, no, but the <laughs> no, I know, but but she's conveniently placed under the under the ceiling light and to cast the sort of glow upon her and her blonde hair. I know, it's just the way you said it. It made it made it sound like Helena was reaching out to the Technically to the light. She was. <laughs> but yes, so there's this recurring theme of of Helena as an angel. So this is sort of where I'm just thinking about it too much, really, and and wondering if that was part of what the Prolethians did, was give her the blonde hair. Because, I mean, it certainly looks like it's dyed. She's got dark roots still, but anyway. Well, that's why I don't think that dyeing her hair would have necessarily convinced her she was different. I feel like it's, personally, I think it's more likely that they, I don't know. I feel like it's something Helena does now, anyway, to differentiate herself from all of these women. Because I'm trying to remember, um, Katja Obinger didn't, wasn't her hair blondish? Red. It was red. Okay. Never like mind. actual red. Okay. I couldn't remember. I thought it was, I, I, for some reason, I was remembering it being kind of like blonde with red in it, but okay. So yeah, she's the only blonde one because Rachel's hair is blonde ish, but it's more reddish. Sort of a blonde. strawberry blonde. Yeah. Yeah. So those two clones have, are the only ones we've met who don't really have, I shouldn't say that. So those three clones are the ones that we've seen who 
don't have brown hair. But but by and large, all of the clones we've seen seem to have brown hair, which appears to be a natural color for for them. So yes, I think definitely Helena's hair, this like platinum blonde curly hair. Crazy Shakira, they like to call it. Exactly, exactly. I, I personally do think it might be a real attempt on her part to differentiate herself from the rest of these women who she's been taught to believe are abominations under God. I do wonder, I mean, this is just us talking about it uh, from a post-season one fan perspective, but I'm I'm curious if it is her or if it was them. And it makes me sad when I think about possibly not getting answers about all these things. But and of course, it's not crucial that we know. But but I wonder. No, I think I think it's as I think just the fact that they're her that it exists is interesting enough. We don't really need to know a reason. But I think it's fun to sort of maybe speculate on if that might be a reason. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so she's she's blonde. She's got a very difficult physical appearance, and you noted that she appears to be left-handed. Yes, as far as we know, or as far as I have noticed, let me rephrase. All the other clones, I'm relatively certain, are right-handed. We've whenever we've seen them use a dominant hand, I'm pretty sure it's always been the right hand, except for Helena, who we see write a note to Sarah in in the scene where she's in the where they're in the the diner having lunch. Yes. <laughs> Uh, it just kills me when Helena asks Sarah to like, let's have lunch. <laughs> like, <laughs> like she's a normal person. <laughs> Which, of course, is how Sarah reacts. It's kind of like, say it's what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Will there be a knife fight at this lunch? This is what I'm used to with you. <laughs> and there kind of was. <laughs> yes, there was. But yeah. But in that scene, when Helena's writing down, I think it's the number to call or something, right? Uh, she writes it with her left hand. and I think that's in episode seven, right? Uh, yeah, I think it is. Because it was, she called her and and then she came and cut off Olivier's tail. Right. Because you always remember that the tail gets cut off in episode seven. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then she dances with it and it's awesome. <laughs> like a freaking glow stick. <laughs> yeah, the first time I watched that, I totally didn't notice that that's what was in her hand. I don't know. I, I guess I thought it was the knife or something. And then on a repeat, one of the, the subsequent viewings, because I was that nerd who watched it like two or three of the times because they'd air it like two or three times the night it aired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was like the second or third one of those. I was like, holy crap, that's the tail. <laughs> and then I started laughing hysterically. <laughs> anyway, but that's beside the point. <laughs> we were talking about left handedness. <laughs> Yes, left-handedness. She, she writes Sarah a note, and she uses her left hand. And again, I might be stretching this a bit, because you, you note that Helena has very poor handwriting, which might just be the outcome of, you know, poor education, which if she was abused as a child, or there are many reasons why she could have poor handwriting. However, going with my maybe she has intentionally tried to differentiate herself from the other clones theory, if she's noticed that they all seem to be right-handed, maybe she has tried to train herself to be left-handed instead or to be ambidextrous in some way. Could be. Again, many reasons why her handwriting might be poor, but I'm just throwing that out there. (laughs) Or it could be that Tatiana is right-handed and doesn't write so well with her left hand. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, but it but it also I think is very appropriate that 
Oh, absolutely. That Helena have poor handwriting. So yes, definitely there's, there's that, you know, that, that very obvious practical point of probably Tatiana Mazzani is right handed and she can't write very well with her left hand. But I, I like that character trait of, of Helena that she, and it fits with again, the sort of like stunted childhood that she has this really poor childlike handwriting. Exactly. Cause yeah, that was my thought too. That, um, even though it is probably somewhat practically related that, uh, by which I mean, from a practical standpoint, it's not not something that... Almost related, yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, also, there's the fact that she has carved the angel wings into her back, which I think is something that we should probably talk about. Because, you know, essentially, it's self-harming behavior, uh, which we do have actually... Or we, we have seen it in some of the other clones to some extent. I mean, the series starts off with Beth committing suicide. So there is some of that uh, established, but but not in this, not, not manifested in this way. And I think go, kind of going back to Helena's issues around food and how she eats food beyond her, you know, gorging on the sugar packets or the way that she just sort of like stuffs that muffin into her mouth when she invades the police station. So Helena's cutting. We see when Helena kind of is back on the ship and Tomas has, has healed her from her wounds, et cetera, et cetera. We see at some point where Tomas hands Helena a blade. So this seems to be a behavior that's encouraged by Tomas, and I'm going to make a leap and, and extend it to say encouraged by this group that she's with. And I think it's likely that this religious group is an offspring of like the Catholic Church. And a lot of people through the Da Vinci Code are somewhat familiar with Opus Dei, which is this very extreme sort of offshoot of the Catholic Church and Opus Dei members will do self-harm. They're like, they'll, they'll whip themselves. And, and there are still like Trappist monks will do this as well. It's a form of, of prayer, a form of submission to God. There is some self-harm involved. The, the self-flagellation. Exactly. The self-flagellation. So I think maybe we could make a reasonable conclusion that perhaps Helena's cutting behavior, if it didn't come out of her association with, association with the Prolethians is at least in part encouraged by it. Like it's not discouraged. Absolutely. Would you say that's yeah. fair? So again, sort of making a leap from there, again, speculation. It's what we do. Another, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Another thing that's sort of extreme or not extreme, but, you know, very devout branches of, of religious groups will do are, are like fasting or, um, holy anorexia, things like that, where there's, long periods of time will they where they will not eat. So I wonder if maybe Helena's relationship with food, where we see her like gorge down the muffin, we see her devour these sugar packets, if that might not also be part of this life that she's grown up with is like these these lengths of time where she doesn't eat for like religious reasons or or ha- or what have you. When we have seen Tomas lock her in a cage and so I mean there's there's evidence to suggest at least that there's, you know, various forms of mistreatment there. For example, potential starving and whatnot, which would explain yeah, so, why every yeah. time she's out, she's like shoving the muffin in her mouth or, you know, suggesting to Sarah that they go get lunch. Because I mean, there there was that, like a table full of empty plates in front of Helena. So preceding the uh, sugar covered jello. So yeah, definitely you make a good point. Yeah, definitely. There's some forced starvation as well. 
So or at least suggested. I mean, we don't actually know, but. Oh, that's true. That's true. There's suggestion that um, when she's locked up in the cage, probably she doesn't get fed, at least not fed very much. Which actually sort of leads us into the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is Helena's position as a sympathetic villain. And what's sort of fascinating to me is that a lot of shows have have this sort of it, – it's a trope, is what I'm saying. The The sympathetic villain or the – villain that the show then tries to make you sympathetic towards. And personally, a lot of the time, it doesn't work for me. I mean, I know a lot of people are really, really into that type of villain where they sort of, you know, are super evil, and then they give you glimpses into the their their past or whatever that have the things that have made them that way. That doesn't always work for me, though, but I feel like it's been really effective in Helena's case. Well, that's what I'm saying, is I feel like most of the time I see shows try to do that, it it very much puts me off, because it, it feels so deliberate and forced, and, you know, half the time they kind of don't stick with it because the person then is super evil still, or again, or whatever, and it just drives me crazy. But they they plotted this out so well for me that, you know, by the end, I just, I, I was so sad for Helena. But at, at the same time, you're still, she's still effectively terrifying. <laughs> you know, she she comes to get Kira in episode eight. And, you know, as soon as she shows up at the door, you're just like, like, oh, God, no. <laughs> or at least that was my reaction. Oh, no, it's haunting when we, there's that close up on the window, and then you see her face emerging from the shadow. It's terrifying. It really, really is. And I think every... Every person I've ever watched the show with is is like you can feel them tense up next to you if you're watching it with them and yeah it's it's very very well done but yeah they they introduce her as sort of this unknown shadowy figure there's somebody out there killing us you know she's shooting at Sarah she's just shot Katya through the head you know it's just there's somebody out there this shadowy figure and then, of course, as we talked about already, you know, she shows up and is ready to murder Sarah and then gets run through with rebar, but she's fine, <laughs> which is also terrifying, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> no, it's horrifying. That scene where she pulls the rebar out of her side and stitches herself up. I mean, yikes. <laughs> yep. But it, the thing that's interesting, this kind of loop back to what you already kind of mentioned about Kira, because we see in episode four beginning of episode four where she's stitching herself up and the little boy comes in and finds her in the bathroom also terrifying <laughs> also terrifying but i remember when i first watched it, i was like oh what is she gonna do to that little boy and she doesn't do anything to him she's she smiles at, it's creepy but she smiles at him kind of kindly and takes his hand and then we see and then of course they fake on the, episode, the credits and the whole time yeah. you're watching the credits you're kind of like what, like, is, what she is she going to, to do to that <laughs> mm -hmm. and she did nothing to him really she, she gave made him, him a toy a, she made him a toy, a creepy, creepy toy. But, you know, she gave him a toy. She did not do anything. She did not do anything to physically harm him. And so that I think was actually really a smart move because that made me second guess sort of assumptions I had made about Helena that she was just this psychopathic killer out to get everybody <laughs> or at least willing out, you know, willing to kill pretty much anybody because she does, you know, take a shot at art as well. But, um, her relationship to children, I think, is is very important to her development as a character. Right. And also sort of ties back into the 
the profile and everything where they establish that essentially she's stunted developmentally and, you know, very much has a childlike mind frame. Mind frame? Is that mindset? Is what I mean. That's probably better. <laughs> frame of mind or mindset. Mind frame. That's not a word. <laughs> Okay, you should leave that in. <laughs> I do this all the time. <laughs> but it, but it is it is a well-constructed, well-thought-out storyline on on the writer's part that they they have this thing where they introduce her and she's shadowy and terrifying, but really almost immediately they sort of reveal that she's essentially just an abused child. So it does sort of make it all very layered and complex and immediately sympathetic in a weird way, because she's still out there trying to kill them. I, I think what really works is that we have sympathy, I think, for the clone characters being used and caught up in this larger experiment and their free will taken away. But I think you could say with Helena, she's been doubly used. She's both been created by scientists in the lab, intended to be you know, given to scientists to raise to see, you know, see what happens as in, in a controlled environment or what have you. And so, you know, Amelia trying to protect her from that runs away, gives her away. And yet she still gets pulled into this group who use her just as badly, if not worse than, than the scientists would have. And it's really difficult not to have sympathy, I think, for Helena because she's been so poorly um, so poorly treated by so many people. Absolutely. And, and it is sort of, there's, there's that, um, there's the thing that Amelia says to, she thought it was Sarah, but it ended up being Helena about how, how different they ended up being, being like night and day. And I think this also feeds into the whole, we were talking about the blonde hair and all this sort of thing to really, you know, be a physical manifestation of this idea that, that they are so, diametrically opposed. But yeah, I just, I, I like the way that they, they, the writers set up that story for her that, that they made her sympathetic and still terrifying. But at the same time, like, I just, I feel so, so bad for her. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, she's still trying to kill people and cutting off people's tails and and, and she kills people and tries to kill people through the end of the season. You know, she doesn't really get much better. <laughs> but there are these moments where you just really have so much sympathy for her. And you kind of touched on one a little earlier, her interaction with Kira, where we see her take Kira, Kira out of the house. And as the audience, we're kind of worried. And, and kind at that of. point, I was... Well, at that point, me personally, I was pretty certain she wouldn't do anything to really harm Kira. That's true. I, I, I was, I thought she would take her because, you know, Tomas saying, you know, she is your child and this and that. So I, I thought she would take Kira. I didn't really think she would hurt Kira. I, I think in my mind, I was concerned that she was going to take her to Tomas because I think that was what they were trying to get to happen or what Tomas was trying to get to happen. Oh, yes, totally, totally. But I knew that in that moment, she was, she personally was not going to harm Kira. Right. But, you know, what, what ultimately ends up happening is probably one of the most heartbreaking scenes of the entire series thus far is where Kira and Helena are talking in the alleyway and, and Kira says, you know, what, you know, what happened to you, Helena? And, and she's just like, I don't know. And Kira hugs her and she 
Helena tries to hug her back, but she doesn't really know what to do with her hands. She's just kind of got her hand. She's kind of wrapped her arms around Kira, but she doesn't really know how to hug her. And it's just so heartbreaking. It is. I, I love that scene. It breaks my heart every single time I've seen it. And it is, it's so, so very fascinating and heartbreaking to watch it because, yeah, it takes her a minute to figure out what's going on, I think. She she looks a little thrown when Kira just, you know, offers her affection out of nowhere. And the look on her face and, and her actions are kind of like, like, arms go here? <laughs> like, she looks very, as you mentioned, she she kind of doesn't know how to do it. And oh, it just yeah. It's been it's been so long since anybody. It, it feels in that moment. It's been so long since anybody has like tried to touch her in anything resembling an affectionate way. She still know how to doesn't know how to deal with it. She doesn't know how to react. <sighs> poor poor Helena, who then tries to murder people again. But again, that's exactly. But you feel so sorry for her, and then she goes and she tries to kill Sarah or whomever, and or she kills Amelia and then threatens Sarah. And it's yeah, she's just such a complex complicated character she's wonderful well done show well done <laughs> but yeah let's talk about the the relationships or or interactions really they're less relationships than they are interactions with other characters i think we've already talked about kira sufficiently mm -hmm. so so let's talk about the the scenes with sarah because i think maybe that's sort of you know certainly warming her up to the point of of interacting with kira because she says she feels connected to Sarah. And the way she says it, again, you sort of feel like maybe she's not really ever felt that way before. And and I think that's one of those things. Well, it is one of those things that we as human beings need that need to feel some connection to someone else. So it's sort of interesting that she's suddenly had this reaction to somebody that she wanted to kill about a split second before that. I think you could say that Helena and Sarah have a relationship. I think all the other people, there's interactions. But I do think that Helena and Sarah have a relationship. I think That is true. By the end of the season, yeah. yeah by the end of the season, they, they do have a relationship. It's obviously a very fraught, complicated one. But seeing that sort of grow and develop and when Sarah calls Helena to come help her in episode seven, you know, it's it's like... Sarah has gotten suddenly has this dog who she doesn't really know how to get the dog to behave quite right, but she's kind of figuring it out. The dog really seems to like her, but doesn't, you know, but the dog is like misbehaving all the time. And so it's, I don't know, it's like Sarah negotiating this relationship essentially with like this animal because, because Helena is very feral. I think Dr. Lee, he describes her quite accurately in, in that way. And I find it really fascinating to see how that grows because I do think Sarah comes to really feel sorry for Helena by the end of the season. Yes. Even though she kills her. I mean, or at least seriously wounds her. I kind of don't think she's dead. I think it'd be silly of the writers to get rid of Helena entirely. So I kind of don't think she's dead, but you know, Sarah does end up, you know, harming Helena to protect her family. But I think she really, really feels sorry for her. I would also hate if she were dead, but I think that the writers have, basically said that she is so no ah. okay. <laughs> i'm sorry again and and this was before they started filming season two so things are completely open to change i don't know again i don't actually know anything aside from 
what they've said in press, but um, I, I think they did did say that she was either they said she was dead or that she was probably dead. But I think if they said probably dead, I would have registered that as she wasn't. So, but the woman came back from having a rebar stab through her liver. I mean, she's tough. <laughs> she is, and I mean, you know me. My my first thought whenever anybody quote unquote dies on screen is that, you know, unless we actually see them pronounced dead and are possibly buried or something, you know, basically... I know, you see the body going into the ground. Okay, they're dead. You know, <laughs> they're unless they're you're on a morgue. vampire show. Yes, well, <laughs> that's just always the rule, though, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yes, or some other fantasy show. But but yeah, it's... And granted, this is sci-fi, but, but still, yeah, my, my thought is always... Unless we actually see somebody confirmed dead, they're probably not. But I do think the producers have said that that she is dead, which makes me very sad. Because as we've been well, talking about all all this episode, I think there's a lot of stuff left to explore with Helena, and I'm I'm sad even thinking about the fact that we may not get answers to some of those things. But it does make me sort of consider: is it better for Helena to be dead? Maybe, and maybe this is potentially morbid but she was obviously a very tortured individual you know she was very badly abused past and currently and maybe she's you know this kind of sounds dumb but you know maybe now she's at peace no i i'm i'm with you my desire for her to not be dead is entirely selfish because i am weirdly fond of helena poor poor helena that whole that whole thing of this character trope of the the sympathetic, redeemable villain kind of thing. To me, it just, it works so rarely that I really appreciate that they managed to pull it off. I agree. I agree. Because like I said, it often does not work for me. I'm like, nope, this person is a terrible person. Just because you show me he has mommy issues does not make me like him anymore. But I really do feel badly for Helena. I really feel badly for Helena, even though she's clearly disturbed to bring it back to my dad because he's an endless source of crazy stories we were watching i forget which i guess it's episode nine is it that he he throws helena tomas throws helena in the cage and as soon as he does that like during that whole scene my dad's just repeatedly saying man i hate that guy which kind of cracked me up because like yeah dad you're supposed to you're supposed to because <laughs> that's that's an evil action right there. <laughs> they are they're making you sympathetic towards Lena because this is the dude she's had to deal with who throws her in a cage. This is her father figure right here. Yeah. Pretty horrible. Yeah. It's like, gee, I'm I'm glad you think that guy's terrible. <laughs> I would be concerned otherwise, as you are my father figure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. You should put that in. That was funny. <laughs> So those are some of our thoughts and speculation about Helena, and we would love to hear some of your thoughts about her. You can contact us in several different ways. You can send us an email to feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. You can leave a voice message on our listener voicemail line. That number is 972-514-7223. You could also leave a comment on the show notes over at tatianaiseveryone.com. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are TIE Podcast. So much social media. So many options. That wraps up our episode on Helena. 
Next week, we'll be talking about the monitors, which is to say Donnie and Paul and Delphine. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.